Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Dharma talks are really funny creatures. Um, they are, because uh, in the training programs that I've been in, it's very likely that you're given a topic and then somebody says, talk about this. You know, and, and that's very common for a teacher to say, I'm going to choose this topic and then I'm going to study and talk about this. And um, the way I feel about Dharma talks is that um, I don't go to them, they come to me. <laughs> I don't go out looking for them, they have to arrive. And uh, so there's a sense of, of not knowing and not preparing and... Um, Dan, who's so generous and wonderful with the newsletters, like, can you describe what you're going to talk about can, so we can put it in the newsletter? And every week I have to say, no. <laughs> it's the truth. So I have been um, reading this book. It's a beautiful book called um, The Road Home, a contemporary exploration of the Buddhist path um, by Ethan Nichern. And he's a um, teacher in the Tibetan tradition. And he practices in New York. He has a sangha in New York. Um, and I actually met some people from his sangha on my retreat were there. And they had the book, too. And we had all carried the book to read in the airport. Um, and so I'm, I'm really enjoying the book. And I wanted to talk a little bit about some of what he wrote. Um, today and just play with it. I, I certainly cannot articulate his point of view well, so I would recommend reading the book to get what he actually says. But he quotes uh, Chogen Trumpa. Uh, Chogen Trumpa was um, exiled from Tibet during the Chinese Revolution and um, he managed to get here. It was a very traumatic uh, journey for him. And he's responsible for bringing Tibetan Buddhism to this country. He started a huge movement, and Pema Chodron is um, his student. She, she was his teacher. A very controversial guy, for those of you who have read about him. Uh, brilliant and really, really created, um, I think it's called Shambhala Center in Colorado, uh, really spread Buddhism and had many demons as well. Many, many demons. So. This is one of his quotes. Many books, and, and if you have a chance to read him, well worth reading. Well worth reading. So many good books. Um, and I love this quote. That which knows confusion cannot be confused. All right? And we'll stay with that. It will get clearer as we go along. That which knows confusion cannot be um, confused. And for those of us who are on the path, um, we talk about um, three truths in life, that things are impermanent, right? And we're always talking about impermanence, reflecting on it. We're always reflecting on the inherent suffering in the nature of things, that there's always some stress or dissatisfaction because things are so impermanent. And then we, to make matters worse, <laughs> as I say, we say, and um, there isn't a self. And here we are sitting here being ourselves. Everybody's got a name and an address and a clothing size. 
and an identity, right? Um, so what do we mean by no self? There isn't a self. Isn't there a self here? All right. Um, and the question that Buddhism forces us to ask is, um, who are we at our core? All right. Who are we at our core? What is this identity? Um, we're, we know we're on this journey of awareness, of deepening our awareness. And yesterday, when we were sitting and walking, what we used as a contemplation is that um, w what's happening all the time is that we're taking in information from the six sense doors, right? And then we're thinking about it and we're forming a view of the world and a view of ourself, moment by moment, that's constantly changing through all our senses. And um, we are creating a reality, right? We're co-creating reality by how we interpret what's coming in. But because we're not so used to gazing within and noticing what we're aware of at the sense doors, noticing the body, mind, heart, we're not always so deeply aware that we're creating views of the world and others, and we're creating a self-view all the time. And that it really takes time to unpack how clearly we are seeing things, right? How clearly we're seeing things. And um, some of what Ethan is writing about, and he's reflecting on the Pema's teachings and um, Chogun Trumpa's teachings, is that um, a lot of us are not so fully aware of our view of humanity and ourselves is overrun with negativity um, and um, a poor view of, of human nature. You know, we're, it's, it's there, but we're not quite fully landing on it. And Pavement Children says, um, a lot of us have a very unconscious view of our basic badness and the basic badness of others. And it's true if you think about like how many people went to, I don't want to single out Catholic school people because there's, <laughs> every culture has a version of guilt, right? And original sin and guilt and why you're bad or how children should behave. We've talked about this many times before. Uh, so she asks us to look at um, how this affects our heart and mind, and that um, part of the necessity of deepening our awareness is reflecting on the inherent nature of our basic goodness, and being at home, not just in our awareness, but the true goodness that we're born with, the capacity to awaken. So I'll digress here. Um, I, I remember last year I was teaching a class, uh, a mindfulness class, and um, it just derailed very quickly. Things went off the skids for a bit. And what happened was we started meditating, and um, people in the class know if you come late, just 
quietly open the door and sit down. There's a lot of traffic in this area and people are coming from work and they're trying to get there and park just like you are. But um, just come in quietly and sit down, it's okay. So uh, in this particular class, uh, the room got changed. There was construction. And um, this woman came late from work. And I, it's funny telling this story. I, well, let me keep going. So she came late, and so she had to get a security guard to find the room and take her in. And before she could stop him, he knocks on the door. This knock, knock, knock. And then he opens the door, right? And so we didn't stop meditating, um, but, you know. So she, and she comes in, she sits down, and then we go around the room in this class, we do a check-in, how was your practice, how was your meditation, you know, what did you practice, and uh, we get to the second person, and he says, um, I'm, I'm going to call her Susan, you know, just for <laughs> he said, well, I was having a really great meditation, I was just in so much calm and ease and peace, and it was just wonderful, and then Susan, <laughs> and he looks at her, <laughs> knocked on the door and disturbed everything. And I thought, well, why should I? And these are people very new to meditation and new to mindfulness. You know, why should I go back to meditation? I'll just write a list of things that I have to do and sit here and wait for all of you to finish. You know, And then before anything else could happen, somebody chimed in and said, well, you know, I'm a teacher. And um, what I tell my when I'm in class with my young children and I'm losing my temper that I am the adult and they are children and you are acting like a child. <laughs> welcome, welcome to mindfulness, right? So um, it worked out. <laughs> um, but, um, so, where do we go from there? So, I, I'm going to tell you how it works out. <laughs> so, this is an example of um, how quickly we acquire a view. Okay? So, how quickly we acquire a view. Susan felt like she was a horrible person. <laughs> Because the security guard, she couldn't stop the security guard. She was feeling guilty. She ruined everybody's meditation. And this man, we'll call him Brian. I don't know. I probably won't remember the name Brian. But, you know, felt like, um, you know, how dare she ruin my meditation, right? We solidify our experience and we become it. And then the, this woman who's a teacher thought, well, I can fix this. Let me give him some advice. <laughs> He's a child, right? So we have all solidified this situation. It's become something to us in our mind. And it's become something different in everybody's mind. There's no reality. Um, and I want to go back to Chogun Champa and his um, teachings. So um, when we teach on no self, we're not teaching that you don't exist. What we're teaching is who you take yourself to be in any given moment may not be very accurate, mm -hmm. as in that situation, right? Um, and what we are is a sum of habitually 
triggered reactions, right? We're all just these habitually triggered reactions, and you know your reactions, I know mine, right? Um, that kind of came a little solidified, and Chogun Trumpa, instead of calling it an ego or a defensive pattern, he calls it a cocoon which I really love, this analogy. And I will come back to the story and tell you how it unpacked. But, um, and he describes the cocoon as a um, protected space, a type of temporary home, right? This defensive structure, this egoic way we're safe, you know, the way we protect ourselves and that we're safe. And um, the silkworm creates the cocoon on its way to maturity and transpiration, right? He has to create this safety, just like us. We create these defensive patterns of functioning that are safe. I can tell you, growing up in a neighborhood that was like a little on the rough side, um, I created a defensive pattern of looking like nothing bothered me and very cool, when on the inside I was freaking out. But you're right, but, but I knew how to create this false image that would serve me around some very tough kids in my neighborhood, right? You couldn't fold, like you had, a, you had to look tough, right? So we create these things, um, and they're not bad or good, they're protective. They work to a certain degree, and then at a certain point, like the silkworm, they no longer work, they kind of choke you. You know, you've got to get out of this false self or this image that you've created or these def rigid defensive patterns. So, so um, the silkworm can't stay in its space, this is from Chogun Trumpa, too long, or problems arise. You can't keep your defensive patterns too long. Right? I don't want to get close to people. I can't show my vulnerability. Right? Um, I'll attack you before you attack me. There's all sorts of defensive strategies that people, that we all do. Or my identity is this and nothing else, right? So um, if the worm never faces the world, he never grows up. And it becomes stuck. So um, when I solidify, I'm like a statue. And what happens when we solidify, like that situation I was talking about, we're not in the center of awareness anymore. Right? We're not noticing and watching. We've become this solid thing of who we are. But he says, at the same time, the cocoon is woven out of silk. And the silk is, in his idea, a representation of the wise and capable mind, Buddha nature. Right? So the cocoon that we wrap ourselves in, for me it was like this tough exterior that didn't care, you know, this aloofness. I see so many kids who do that today, you know, I don't care, you know, I know you really care, right? Um, all these defensive patterns that we do they're also made of silk, and they have within it the seeds of wisdom and Buddha nature. So we're not just only born with greed, hatred, and delusion, which the Buddha does teach. We're also born with this beautiful, I want to say, golden, silken nature that can awaken and that has the capacity to see. 
And so I'll read that quote again, and now it will get a little more clear to you, right? That which knows confusion cannot be confused, right? So mindfulness is present when we're foggy, confused, having a hard time with something, uh, with a knock at the door, right, Um, disturbing us. When we know it, that which recognizes it is not so confused. Yeah? Getting there? Okay. Um, So um, he says, the cocoon is made out of moments of frozen wisdom. I love that word, frozen wisdom. Um, And intelligence. So in a way, sometimes things that happen, we take it, and it hardens and solidifies into habits. Right? And for this man, it was like, oh, didn't go my way, I give up. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I'm done. Doesn't go my way? Okay, I'm done. Right? That was what he was communicating to. He was communicating a few more things. Um, and we have to be brave enough to um, look at the heart and mind and to explore these solidified negative views of who we are. So, getting back to that class, um, (laughs) um, we started to talk about um, the fact that through the six sense doors, there's always something happening that's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, we don't care, or we're really too checked out. It's the Vedana, the second foundation of mindfulness, and that was the topic that we were on in the class. And um, how, when the unpleasant comes, right, when the unpleasant comes, we really want to push it away. Or we want to cling to it and tell a story about it. And this is the place where we get kind of frozen in our cocoon. If the mindfulness isn't there, we're just in our reactivity. And so we talked about this with this man. And um, and uh, he kind of began to see a little bit that it was negative Vedana. And he became his reaction. He became stuck and frozen. And all he could do was blame <laughs> someone. And give up, right? And we and we we've done that. We've done that. I, I did it earlier in the week. I didn't think there was a policy that I, I read in an email that I liked. I always have an opinion about how um, psychiatry should operate. <laughs> Nobody ever listens, but uh, <laughs> you know, and stuck in the. Uh, I'm the center of the universe. I know how it should work, and nobody listens. And, you know, really living in that, there's suffering in that. It happens all the time. So um, it turned out that this man um, was imminently losing his job. And some of what he was reacting to was not the knock at the door. It was really the stress at having to find an alternative income and not knowing the day that they would be fired. They literally told this group, um, we don't know when we're closing our doors, this business. It will be within days or weeks, and we'll let you know on the day that we close it. So can you imagine the stress he was under? 
And um, this woman who was the teacher, right, this was a teaching moment for her to say how quickly I labeled you and solidified you as, you know, acting childlike when you're really suffering. And I, I would have never known, right? I would have never known. Um, so um, when we live in the center of awareness and we're watching rather than merging and becoming with these events, there's also a chance for compassion and loving kindness both ways. And what I loved about this dialogue in particular is um, how everyone relaxed. You know, when they felt that letting go piece, like, oh, I could let go. This is, this is just Vedana happening. This is pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And I made a story and I made a self out of it, right? And when they could dialogue it and see the process, you could feel the room just like go, oh. you know, just completely relax. And that was very sweet. And then there was also less boundary in the room, less me, right? Less I. Um, so, um, and you could feel that. They were kind of more like a one. They were a we. They became a we. And um, why do, let's get back, why do we solidify so much? Why do we do that so quickly? Do you do that? Right, I do, right? A strong view. I am off to the races. I've just become that view. Uh, I was sitting with a young man who um, his parents dedicated themselves to his baseball career. You know people like that? that and it's not bad at all. I mean, this kid was playing baseball day and night, day and night, day and night, and he got the scholarship, full ride, to a really great college, university, and second year, bad injury, can't play. And we were exploring, who do I take myself to be? Who am I? Right? Who am I? And he said, all I am in my whole life, all I've ever known myself to be is the kid who could play baseball better than everyone else. And the kid who was going to have a career, who was going to the big teams, right? Who is going to be the next big baseball player. And he said, wow, now who am I? Who am I? Right? And we do these things too. Who do we take ourselves to be? And that's perfectly normal. So the thing that we lose that Chogan Trumpa is taught and, and that's generally taught in Buddhism is that we are interdependent beings. There are many causes and conditions that make an I right? Many causes and conditions, and somehow we don't see that when we look at ourselves. Like here, here I'm sitting here, right? I was very dependent upon my grandparents being able to escape from Russia, which they did, barely, right? And some of us have stories like that. Um, and my parents meeting, and the fact that there was enough food to eat, and that there wasn't um, a major disaster. And this, who I think I am, is a result of this, the culture I lived in, the schools I went to, the people on my block, 
all the experiences that I've had. There isn't a me. There are a lot of experiences leading to me right now, but this me right now is not solid, right? I wouldn't look this way 30 years ago, and I'm, hopefully I'll be here in 30 years. I don't know. But, you know, I won't look this way in 30 years or 20 years, and neither will you, right? The, who you are sitting right here right now is uh, a moment in time. You're not solid. You're not consistent. In two years from this date, you will be different. Your view may be different. Your life experience may be different. Your health may be different. Your family situation may be different. But at any moment, we take ourselves to be just this one solid truth, right? Something happens to our kid, you feel like you're a certain parent, right? Another thing happens and you're a certain parent. Um, the therapist trap, because I could say that for my profession, right? The patient does well, you're a good therapist. The patient does poorly, you're a bad therapist, right? Who are you? Right? Your stocks went up. Oh, you're a smart investor. Your stocks go down, whoops, right? Um, one day you're um, going to practice for a marathon and you're doing really well and you're running faster and faster. Another day you've injured your tendon and you're not somebody who can run a marathon. But our habit is to see ourselves as very fixed in this moment and very fixed into what's happening around us in this moment. And then coming back to Chogun's teaching in Pema Chodron, because our view runs negative, we doubt ourselves and put ourselves down, and our sense of self runs with, like, not good enough in our culture. It's infused with not good enough as a habitual place of mind when the cocoon is made of silk. Right? You've got to see the silky nature of all of this, the potentiality. So I wanted to do an exercise with you on this. Um, and um, this comes from um, the teachings of the Thai masters, the forest Thai masters. And, um, it, and it comes from the Buddhist teachings. It's often very confused because people interpret it and then they say the Buddha didn't say this and you know, it could become a story, but today it will be an exercise that we do. And it's called recollecting, recollecting our goodness, reflecting on our goodness. And um, A lot of the Thai teachers, when people come to the monastery, they come in with their stories of, um, <clears throat> like all of us, of why I'm not good, why I'm not good enough, why I can't awaken. Right? And a lot of people who choose to put on a robe and shave their head, something happened to get them there that may not have been very good, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And so that's why in our tradition we do a lot of loving kindness and compassion, right? Yet it's still very hard. 
And so um, there's that practice of recollecting our goodness. And I'll read a little bit about what the Buddha said, but um, Ajahn Sumedho, I think it was, that I have a reading from him of um, really recollecting your virtue, like at the core of um, he has the monks say, well, you're in the monastery, and even if you're cooking the rice, you're supporting everyone in the monastery to wake up. And you're teaching Buddhism, you're keeping this um, practice thriving. And um, people who walk in the monastery and have a positive experience, you're impacting them and helping them along the way. So virtually everything we do has a positive ripple. Right? Any little act of kindness, generosity, love, and care, which we do all the time, but we don't always take that in. Right? We don't always allow ourselves to see it. So, this is what the Buddha said, which is on my phone. <laughs> uh, and it gets confused, and somebody will say, No, he didn't say that, he said it. So it's called recollecting your virtue, right, as a practice. Because if you can recollect your virtue, your innate goodness, the silk, the mind becomes calm and at ease. The mind, the defilement stop. Our self-hatred, our anger, our delusion, our greed, all of that stops. And um, so part of it is you should develop the recollection of virtue while you're walking, while you're standing, while you're sitting, while you're lying down, while you're busy at work, while you're resting in your home crowded with children. And this is just, this is a teaching, a commentary on what the Buddha said. Um, there is, there in the case where you recollect your own virtues, at any time when one is recollecting virtue, the mind is not overcome with passion not overcome with aversion, not overcome with delusion. The mind heads straight based on virtue. And when the mind is headed straight, one gains a sense of the goal, gains a sense of the Dhamma, gains joy connected with the Dhamma. In one who is joyful, rapture arises. One who is rapturous, the body grows calm. And one whose body is calmed experiences ease. And when one is at ease, the mind becomes concentrated. And this is where wisdom can, can come in. And Chogun Trumpa, I was reading him last night, just getting into him a little bit. And he said, once I got on the path, once I took um, Buddhism seriously and meditation seriously, the contemplations, um, there was always a burning joy. And happiness. So no matter what happened that went wrong, I could resource that joy. I'm on the path. I'm waking up, right? I'm in the path of awakening, and I'm serving this beautiful truth, this beautiful practice. And we need to do that too, right? We need to recollect our virtue, whatever it is, the smallest thing, the smallest thing to the biggest thing, our goodness. That's not egoic. See, it's not no self there, right? It's, it's the silk. It's this inherent, beautiful nature.
You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.